0: say that, but I just mean it from my heart. I just love our church and being part of this this body. Uh, This morning we are opening up this uh, challenging text in in Matthew chapter 5. Before we begin, I want to start with a story. Um, I don't know, there are are strange stories that shape us in life, and uh, this one is from a few years ago. I was 10 years old, maybe, when this happened. Uh, I was walking home from school with my friend uh, David Johnson. Uh, David Johnson and I, I think, were the two tallest kids in our class. He was a big kid. His dad was six foot 11. And he was just a big guy, but a nice guy. And, and I don't know what happens in the mind of a 10 year old boy, but um, we're just walking down the sidewalk in the direction of our houses. And all of a sudden, for some reason, I just make a fist and swing and punch David Johnson <laughs> right in the gut. And I I don't know why I did that, but I know it had something to do with pride and sin and just, you know, being an impish little boy. I don't know. And uh, I just remember looking into David Johnson's face. He didn't do anything. He just stared at me. And then we turned and kept walking. Isn't that crazy? I will never forget that moment. I never forget that moment. One, because of my stupidity. Two, because of his reaction. But most of all, just how it made me feel. I felt like an idiot. It was so powerful what he did to me. And in this text, we see the power of reactions. Our reactions impact the people that we react to. Before we get to uh, chapter 5, verse 38, I just want to quickly walk through the context that brings us to this point, because these two last uh, paragraphs that we're going to look at are part of a a long section in this great sermon, the greatest sermon ever preached here in Matthew chapter 5. In chapter 4, in verse 17, uh, Pastor Andrew has pointed out to us that Before Jesus preaches his sermon, he's calling people to repentance. And he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is the king over an invisible kingdom. It is a powerful kingdom, but it's completely different than any kingdom. It's not a military kingdom. It's a kingdom where Jesus the king reigns over the hearts of people and transforms them And through them, transforms the world. That is a unique and amazing kingdom. And he says it's right at hand. And then, as we come to chapter 5, the crowds come around him, his disciples come close, and he begins to describe this kingdom. And he begins by saying in verse 3 of chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This kingdom is for the humble. Those who would humble themselves before the king, they are humble in spirit. They are poor in spirit. And they surrender to him, and they are transformed. Isn't that beautiful? And it's a strange kingdom. These people, these transformed people, are merciful people. They're people that love truth. They are people who are patient, they are pure in heart, they're called the sons of God. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful kingdom to be a part of. And he walks through the description of this kingdom and the ethic of the kingdom. And in verses um, 17 to 20, he talks about the law. He says that he didn't want to abolish the law, didn't come come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Look at verse 20. And this is a prelude to the section that we're looking at. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What a crazy statement. How does our righteousness exceed that of these religious leaders that gave their lives to following the law letter by letter? How could we do that? How could we possibly... Be more righteous than them. And then he shows us, step by step, how we can be more righteous than the Pharisees. And he starts saying, you have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said in the law. He starts with anger. You have heard that it was said. You shall not commit murder. He says, yeah, but I'm going to go deeper than that. I'm not just going to ask for your behavior. I'm going to touch your heart. And he says that if we're angry, we are liable of judgment. Wow. He goes deeper than the law, deeper than behavior, and he talks about the importance of the heart. The same with lust. You've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you have lustful intent in your heart, you've already committed adultery. I want to go beyond just not sleeping with somebody who's not your spouse. I want to transform your heart. I want to deal with the lustful intent of your heart. The same with marriage. You have flippantly said you can write a certificate of divorce. You're not taking marriage seriously. You're following the law. But I want you to honor marriage. And I want you to be faithful in marriage. And then the text that Andrew preached last week, oaths. You look for loopholes in the law as well in terms of swearing, swearing to making oaths, flippantly using God's name. But no, I want to transform your heart so that you're people who tell the truth and who live the truth, you say yes and you do it, you say no and you don't, I want to transform you from the inside out. And then we come to this challenging text in verse 38 to 42. Let's pray together before we, we study this together. Father, it was so good this morning to sing about you, our loving Father. And you are a great Father. You are a loving Father. We see that in this text today. You know us. You know our actions. You also know our hearts. We know, Lord, that you want to transform us from the inside out. I ask, Lord, that you would expose our hearts this morning. Help us to see how we react, see how we act, how we respond. And I pray, Lord, that you would move us toward imitating you, imitating your son. So we ask, Lord, that your spirit would touch us, guide us through, through this, that you gently would lead us into your truth and into action. We pray this humbly before you. In the name of Jesus, amen. First section talks about responding with grace. He begins, You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is a summary of things that we see in the Old Testament law. If you you poke out somebody's eye, you have your eye removed. If you knock out somebody's tooth, you, you lose a tooth. If you kill somebody, you die. Serious stuff. It is fairness to the letter of the law. It's even with animals. You kill somebody's ox and, and, and you have to give them yours. Or you have to pay a sum of money equivalent to that. Eye for eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus said, you know what? I want you to go beyond that as well. I want you to respond with grace. And he gives a few examples of this. And we're a few thousand years removed from this, so uh, it's not exactly maybe the things that we experience every day. He begins in, in verse 39. But if anyone slaps you, uh, first of all, do, but I say to you, verse uh, 39, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. He's talking about not resisting evil people. And he gives a few examples of it. But if someone, anyone, slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him, the other, also. This is actually fairly common in in the first century. People, if they wanted to insult somebody, they would take their right hand and they would smack them across the right cheek. They didn't tend to use their left hand for just about anything. And so they would slap with their right hand and it was an insult. Sometimes it was a way to show power, subjugation of somebody. This is not about. This is not talking about ongoing abuse. This is not saying that people, if they're in an abusive situation, should just take it. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, uh, he's talking about a person that insults somebody in a given instant, that the person should then do what? Turn the other cheek to them a powerful thing. It's kind of like what David Johnson did to me. You get that slap, the backhand across, and you go, you want this one too? And you know it's going to shock that person, just like I was shocked when David Johnson did nothing to me. It is the power of non-resistance. We know a little bit about this in our, in our culture. Uh, The Civil Rights Movement was founded on this idea of non-resistance. And Martin Luther King Jr. led our nation in this movement. But Jesus' movement is even bigger than the Civil Rights Movement. Because it began when people began acting with grace. And it has spread throughout the world to hundreds and hundreds of thousands, millions and millions of people, we're going to see that in a little bit, um, in a little bit of time. Second example: If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak, as well. Wow, this is a crazy one. In the first century, the tunic was the your your uh, the undergarment, basically. Uh, It was oftentimes like something from your neck to your knees that you wore underneath your outer clothing. Um, It could be a shirt. It's kind of like saying, if somebody sues you to take the shirt off your back, I want you to give them your coat also. So this would be a picture of probably a very poor person that loses everything. They're sued, and everything is taken away from them. And then the person says, well... Do you want my outer garment as well? And they would use their outer garment, if they're very poor, they probably used it as their blanket at night. It would be their very last possession that they would give to that person. Now I think Jesus is using hyperbole here. Kind of like with lust, he talks about gouging your eye out. I think he's given an example of if somebody kicks you when you are absolutely down, you're completely down and out, I don't want you to kick back. I don't want you to react to him. Unbelievable. How do we react when we're down? When things are going bad and then somebody steps on us? Man alive, our emotions are strong. We just want to react to that person somehow, right? How do you react? The third example is is uh, another idiom, kind of like the shirt off your back. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. In uh, ancient Rome, Roman soldiers and messengers had the right to grab any citizen at any time um, and make them do something for them, carry their messages from one place to another, help them carry a load from one place to, to another. And so it was fairly common. We remember that even Jesus, when he couldn't carry his cross any any longer, a man named Simon was enlisted to carry the cross for him. This was a fairly common occurrence in the early century. And so here he's saying if somebody who puts you in in a role of subjugation asks you to, forces you to go a mile, say, Would you like me to go another mile with you? Reacting with grace. How do we react when we're insulted? When somebody kicks us when we're down? When somebody forces us to do something? How do we react? I've been thinking about that this week, paying attention to my, my reactions. And you wouldn't you know what I've discovered. <laughs> I just am so defensive. I have such a desire for fairness. And in my heart, many times this week, I thought, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. And we're all like that, aren't we? But Jesus wants us to go beyond fairness. He wants us to go beyond payback. He wants us to go beyond rights, our rights. He wants us to release those rights for the sake of that person and extend grace. Jesus calls us to grace. And then he even ups the ante as he continues, Give to the one who begs from you. He's not talking here about professional beggars. We had a lot of those in Rio de Janeiro when I lived there for 20 years. Um, almost every stoplight, it seemed, in the urban areas had somebody begging. And a lot of times you'd find a child there that was begging, and your heart would just melt. But if you live there a while, you look, and over in the bushes there's a mom or a dad or an uncle that has enlisted that child, put that child there, Um, It's really abusive, actually. It's a terrible situation. And we did not want to give money to the uncle or money to mom and dad, so we would oftentimes have little packs of raisins or crackers and we would give this child food. And then they'd run over and just chomp the food. Jesus is not talking about the professional beggar, but people that are truly needy. Give to needy people. Wow. Wow. The followers of Christ, the people who follow the king, are people that love to reach out to the needy. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now he's getting personal, isn't he? <laughs> How do you feel when somebody wants to borrow from you? And I'm not talking about your, your son or your or your cousin, maybe, but you know, like somebody wants to borrow something. Well, not that. Not that I, t- I met a guy this week who bought a brand new Corvette, and and he doesn't—he only drives it a few months a year. He doesn't let his daughter drive his Corvette. <laughs> I'm like, seriously? That's incredible. How are we with our stuff? Are people more important than our stuff? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Jesus wants to transform us to the kind of people that respond with grace and give joyously to those in need and don't hold on to our stuff. That's a powerful king and a powerful kingdom. Our second section talks about us imitating God and his heart for evil people. Look at verse 43. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So this statement is interesting because the, the, the Old Testament law did say that, that you should love your neighbor. In fact, it says, says love your neighbor as yourself. So when Jesus was, was said that, he was actually quoting from the Old Testament law. But the law did, does not say, hate your enemy. It didn't say that. But we have found records, uh, people have found records of a, this saying in the New Testament times. Sometimes it would be, love your neighbor and hate the Romans. <laughs> so you can see this Roman rule subjugated the Jewish people and other people. And they, they hated the Romans. And Jesus is calling them to a standard where they would even love the Romans. But I say to you, verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Wow. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I, I um, was reflecting on my prayer list this week. And I don't have a single enemy on my prayer list. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I actually can't think of somebody that I would label as an enemy. But we do have difficult people in our lives, right? Complicated people. And here's an amazing thing. God is in the business of touching and transforming complicated people. Messed up people like me and like you. Like all of us. This is what he does. And how does he do that? He loves them, and he loves them through us. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? Look at verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. We will be known as God's children if we love our neighbors and pray for those who persecute us in this section we are supposed to imitate god he continues for he makes god makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the just on the ju- unjust uh, people call this common grace god gives and cares for all people good people Bad people. He sends sun and rain and crops and cares for people. He is a gracious God. He's gracious to everybody, and his grace extends to all humans. He continues, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? That's not a big deal, loving people that, that love you. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Tax collectors were some of the most hated people in the first century. The Roman government gave them the right to collect taxes. They they required a certain amount to go to the government, but they gave them freedom to collect whatever they wanted. And they filled their pockets with the money of the Jewish people as they collected their taxes, and so they were hated. He said, even those people that you hate, they take care of their people. They love their people And even the Gentiles, he continues, what more are you doing than they are? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Non-Jewish people, he was saying, do this. We need to do this as well. And he concludes with this statement, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Where did that come from? You need to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect? It's interesting, this word perfect can, could, could sometimes be translated mature. But that doesn't make sense. Be mature like your heavenly Father is mature. It could be complete. like So be complete, whole, like your heavenly Father is whole. In this context, I believe that he's saying, I want you to be like the Heavenly Father who sends sun and rain for everybody. A God who is loving. I want you to imitate him. Uh, Luke helps us out in Luke chapter 6. The same section in the Sermon on the Mount ends with these, uh, these words. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. What he's saying, Jesus is saying that I want you to have the mercy of our Heavenly Father towards your enemies and those who persecute you. That is a challenge, but it is beautiful. A couple examples for us. One is Jesus Christ Himself, 1 Peter 2:3. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made not threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus, when he was insulted, he did not retaliate. He did not seek payback. When he was suffering, he didn't didn't threaten people. He took it. He died. He rose from the dead and he entrusted himself to his father. Oh, Lord, help me. And this is what we need to do. We don't fight back. We don't seek fairness. We give grace to people. We love our enemies as God loves his enemies. It's an interesting uh, chapter in Romans, Romans chapter 5. We see three things in a row. It says, while we We're still weak, Christ died. While we were sinners, Christ died. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. It's interesting that God saw us as his enemies when we were far off, when we were in sin. Our sins separated us from him, and we actually were enemies at one point. And now he says, I want you to help me reach out to my other enemies so that they too can experience my grace. This is the example of our Lord. Second example is the early church. It was amazing. The the listeners here of of this sermon, they did not have the power to live these words. They had not received the Holy Spirit yet. They were not transformed. They did not have Christ in them. But when Christ died and rose and ascended to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit. We have this in the book of Acts. He sent his Spirit into his disciples, and they were powerfully transformed. Suddenly, they shared their possessions. Some people sold their properties to fund the movement and to to love their, their brothers. And they went out and they shared the gospel all over the known world. They were persecuted. Many were martyred. And they did this out of love for Christ, out of love for one another, and out of love for their enemies. And it is the greatest movement that the world has ever seen. The Spirit of God coming into believers and empowering them to love the nations and to be witnesses to the nations. It is unbelievable. A few applications. First of all, pay attention to your reactions. I'd like us to think this week, pay attention to the way we respond to people. When we get a subtle insult, we feel like we're forced into something. When, some, uh, when someone kicks us when we're down, pay attention to your reactions, and respond with grace. Let's make this a week where we respond to people with grace. Secondly, hold your stuff loosely and live with joy-filled generosity. Live with joy-filled generosity. When I was about uh, 19 years old, I was at Northwestern College in St. Paul and uh, we had, they had a thing called Spiritual Life Week one week and they brought in a speaker. I have a terrible memory but for some reason I remember this guy's name, Dr. Bob Smith. And this guy came in. He was an old guy. He uh, wore an old suit. He rode a bike to Northwestern. I don't know where he came from but back then that just people just didn't do that. Ride, ride a bike somewhere. You know. That's, he, millennials would love him today. Uh, but this guy shows up in his old suit, riding on his bike, and he comes onto campus and he preaches and it was unbelievable. He talked about the, the, the life in the spirit, life with Jesus Christ with such depth. I was so moved by it. But what moved me the most was afterward when somebody told me, did you know that Dr. Bob Smith is a very wealthy man. I'm like, what? Yeah, he's a very wealthy man, but he and his wife choose to live in a very small, simple house, and they, they live very simple lives so that they can generously give as much as they possibly can. And I was like, wow. That explains something. Something about the depth of this Christian Man, I was so moved by that. It's unbelievable. And I've been impacted by many joyously generous people. May we be people that don't hold on to our stuff, but release it out of love for God and love for people. And lastly, let us love the lost with the love of God. Let's imitate God and love those around us. Collectively, we will come in contact with thousands of people this week. Thousands of people. How will we we respond to them? How will we talk to them? Will we look in their eyes? Will we treat them with love? Will they sense that we actually care about them? Ask them questions. Let us love the people around us. And not just the people right there close at work, but the people in our community. I want to end with a story of a young couple I know. I'm going, to, I'm going to call them Josh and Emma. You'll see why I'm not using their real names here in a second. Josh and Emma met at the University of Minnesota. Uh, she was studying nursing. She graduated before him. He was studying pre-med. And uh, they fell in love and got engaged. While they were engaged, they decided to uh, volunteer at a group called ARRIVE. Arrive is a group here in the Twin Cities that uh, um, greets people that come from other countries, refugees and people from, from other nations that come into the Twin Cities. They greet them and they help them. They help them get into an apartment, help them uh, learn how to shop, and teach them, they teach them English, um, all kinds of things. Whatever they need, people from Arrive help them. And so Josh and Emma were part of this, and they they built relationships with people from Somalia, here in the Twin Cities. We have many, of course. And they just loved on the people and built a relationship. They decided to go on a short-term mission trip to Kenya and to Somalia, um, and they did. Now, Somalia is one of the two most dangerous countries for Americans to go to in the world, North Korea and Somalia. According to the State Department, they are the two most dangerous <laughs> countries for Americans to go to. But they went into Kenya, spent most of their time in Kenya, and then they went into, into Mogadishu, Somalia, the capital. And they spent time there, and they just were interacting with people. They, they were uh, visiting doctors they're Christian doctors, and nurses in a, in a hospital. And they came home, and they said, that's our goal. That's our goal. We're going to go... And help in the hospital in Mogadishu, Somalia. What I love about these two, there's so many things, I just love them. But they love Jesus, they love people, but they didn't just want to do anything. They wanted to reach people, and they did it here. And it took them to this step of going someplace else. Are we willing to go wherever God leads us? To Richfield? Or to our neighbor? Or to Mogadishu? Are we willing for God to use us to reach the lost? Let's pray. Father, this is a, this is a challenging text, it really confronts us and our reactions our sense of fairness, our greed. I ask, Lord, that you would continue to touch me, that you would touch all of us, that, Lord, we would be people that are just so full of you that your grace flows out of us day after day to the people around us, the people close to us, the people that we work with, that we study with. Help us, Lord, grow in our in our reactions of grace. I pray too, Lord, that you would help us to love the people around us with the love that comes from you. Thank you for giving us the power through the Spirit to do it. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us to walk in your love. We pray this together in the name of Jesus. Amen.